right, thank you for joining us this morning, everybody. Sorry for a little interruption. Hopefully we didn't lose you. Uh, but now we're trying some new things with our our uh, live streaming. And we're trying to actually get this so it goes directly to our website on our live stream page. Uh, but we were having some challenges with that and whatnot. And, and so anyway, uh, and uh, we're also, uh, anyway, so we're just working on a lot of different things. We did some tri trial and error this morning. Uh, we had a speed bump, so anyway, we're just doing our regular way this morning. So anyway, without further ado, thank you again for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, we're glad that you joined us this morning, and we're just going to go ahead and jump right into the message here in just a moment. Uh, just a couple of regular announcements. Uh, let me just make this announcement since uh, we're on the subject. Uh, we are looking at uh, uh, redoing some uh, things on our, our website regarding live streaming. And so just bear with us as we try to iron out some of these uh, changes to make it more efficient uh, and uh, whatnot for people. And so uh, we're just working on that, so bear with us. Um, anyway, we'll try again tonight for our Bible study. Uh, our Bible study will be here live streamed at 6 o'clock. We encourage you to join us as we are nearing wrapping up our book on Don't Limit God. And we are talking about imaginations again tonight. And so anyway, join us tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, but also, we, we, we continue to have our free Bible classes on our website. Again, our web, website, I keep mentioning that, is lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, that's our, we have our free Bible classes. We have archived all of our messages, including our, our recent Bible study on Sunday nights. We also, that's where also our live stream that we've been talking about will be at lighthousediscipleship.org on the live stream page. Eventually, if not, probably working this morning. On that page, we also have our, our most recent play, uh, worship playlist that we have on there. We will have it on our new uh, live stream page uh, coming going forward. So I know a lot of different announcements right now. We also have on there, we thank you for all who have supported our ministry. We have on there a place to give and whatnot and give prayer requests and contact us and whatnot. So this new live stream page will be a lot more efficient. We'll have a, a page for worship. We'll have a, for worship songs. They'll have a page for uh, prayer requests. They'll have a page to, they'll even have a section to take notes if you want to take notes while you're following with us or whatnot. So anyway, uh, it's going to be very uh, uh, comprehensive in that way. And so anyway, so um, hopefully enough announcements, enough advertisements and uh, uh, whatnot. So let's go ahead and jump into the, the message this morning. It, uh, we're talking about resting in his goodness. Uh, resting in his goodness. Uh, uh, Back in 2004, Sherry and I were at the crossroads of making a major decision, or some, some major decisions at the time. And we were actually emotional about it and frustrated, and so we were crying out to God, and we were more complaining than crying out, but we were crying out to God nonetheless, and God gave us a word. He said, rest in my goodness, and I will take care of everything. And that, those words, that phrase that has been with us throughout the years, has, has come back to us many times through the years. But God told us to rest in my goodness, and I will take care of everything. I started two weeks ago, and we continued last week, about talking about His rest. I have not exhausted that study, and I'm going to continue that uh, today, uh, and hopefully wrap that section up for, for now. Um, and then we'll be talking about His goodness. And hopefully we'll start getting into some of that today as well. And then we will end this series by talking about uh, how he, when he promises, he will take care of everything. 
This kind of ser series actually piggybacks is actually a sequel to our previous series that talked about walking with God. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the title. Garden Walk, restored. Uh, walking with Him in the garden. Uh, garden restored. Oh, the garden restored. Sorry, I haven't referred to my wife uh, on that. So anyway, the garden restored, and all both of these messages have to do with a relationship with God, because that's really the theme in, in almost all of our messages is that uh, God created us for a relationship with Him. God created us to, to commune with Him. And so, so we, uh, that, that's a theme. We're not about religion. We're about a relationship with God. And that's at the cornerstone of this. And as we're talking about resting in His goodness, we're talking about trusting Him. We're talking about relying on Him and not our, not our own work. So without further ado, go ahead and show with me in your Bibles to... Um, Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll pick up where we left off last week, and we just do a little recap of, 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 of uh, the, the chapter. Um, really, the whole chapter has to do with this rest. And this rest also coincides with the Sabbath, the Sabbath that God has uh, uh, ordained uh, for man and since the garden. You know, and I, I spoke of this the last two weeks, but in Genesis chapter 2, it says that after God created everything, or actually in chapter 1 was saying everything he created was very good. But it says that God rested in chapter 2 from his work. God didn't rest because he was tired. It says in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 that God does not go weary. God is not, God is not tired. He didn't, he, he's not worn out uh, from creating the heavens and earth. But he rested because the work was done. He didn't need to create another tree. He didn't need to create another animal. He didn't need to create anything else, scientifically speaking, in our universe and in, 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 our, in our solar system or anything of that nature. God created rested because the work was done. It's like a painter who, who paints a, a masterpiece and then one more stroke would ruin it. It's like a lawyer who, who, who rests his, his or her case after uh, at, at a trial in court. And so we, we, uh, God rested because the work was done. And God created man on the sixth day, not the first, second, or third, or fourth, or fifth day. Why so? Because God created man uh, with an earth that was finished, that was complete. Um, if he, God had created man first or anywhere earlier in the process of creation, man could have been treading water for days. Man would not have had food to eat. Man would not have had sunshine. Uh, uh, there would have been no light. Uh, and, and, the, and the list goes on. And so God created man last in a perfect world. At the same point in time, uh, when the only other thing that God's created since creation is that he says in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. We are a whole new prototype. We are a whole new creation. It says in, 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 in the book of Peter, 1 Peter, that we are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the enduring word of God. We are born again because we are born of God. We're not born of Adam. We are born again of Adam. We are born again of Jesus, the last Adam, or the second Adam. And we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Jesus did the work on the cross. And then he gave us salvation. He gave us a relationship with him. Jesus gave us access to the tree of life that Adam once had. I can spell all this out in another message, but it's just uh, that when God uh, uh, um, expelled Adam and Eve from the garden, 
he put a cherubim in, 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 in a flaming sword to block access to the garden, the tree of life. Why did he do that? He did that so man would not live in a in, in a fallen state for for forever. If man had partaken from the tree of life after he had transgressed, man would have been been doomed forever. It was God's mercy that he had to bring a savior, Jesus, to redeem us, to become our sin, to take our penalty, so that we could have access to the tree of life and we could live forever in a righteous state. I have much more I could expound on that, but at the same point in time, that's not the scope of my message. It's just a but when it says that in, in Matthew, I think it's also echoed in Mark or Luke, but that when Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, that it says that the, 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 the tent, the veil in the holy place was rent from, whole, from top to bottom. On that veil, it says in, in, the, in the Levitical law that God had Moses embroidered cherubim on that veil that separated man from the holy of holies to the presence of God. The Holy of Holies represented represent God. The, 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 holy, the holy place represented man. And God reconciled us to himself. God made us one flesh with him, it says in Ephesians 5, verse 30. God made us in, in a right relationship with him because of Jesus. And God removed, and that, I'm trying to paint a picture, is that man didn't have access to the tree of life in a fallen state. But now that we have received Jesus because of the cross, because of what he has done for us, because he's made us a new creation in Christ Jesus, we have, a, we have a right relationship with God, which is called righteousness, and we have free access to the tree of life. Resting, Sabbath, is resting in what God has done. Man, God didn't just rest on the seventh day and then go back to creating things on the eighth day, ninth day, tenth day, and so on. God is not still creating trees and plants and different things. God created them once, and he gave every tree, every insect, every plant, every human, every animal the, the power to procreate, to, to reproduce itself. And so, <coughs> after, to reproduce itself after its own kind. He says this in Genesis 1.11, and other verses as well. And so, anyway, I'm trying to paint a picture that the Sabbath rests is resting what God has done. To not observe the Sabbath is to, to be striving in our own performance to try to get God to accept us. That doesn't work. That's not resting. That is not the Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest is resting in what God has done. And I want to bring out some scriptures to bring that out. Let's go to Hebrews 4. 1, and let me just read this. We just some of this, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to them, was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. 
and again in this place, they shall enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some, some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again he designates a certain day, saying then David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. And I just want to pause there for a moment. What's been said here, and I'm not going to recap all of this right now, is just that, you know, the Jews thought the promised land was the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest through Joshua, through entering the promised land. And that's not the case. Because David said 400 years later in Psalm 95, where the writer of Hebrews quotes twice, that the, the, there remains a rest. If, if the promised land that happened 400 years before David says that was the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest, then David did not need to speak of another day, another rest. And all to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Jesus, is, and, and, and uh, if we continue to read the book of Hebrews, and even before chapter 3, it says that Jesus, our high priest, sat down forever. The priesthood in the Levi, the, priest, the Levitical priesthood, never, never stopped working. They worked day and night, every day. They had to continue to make a sacrifice every year. They had to do a burnt offering twice a day, every day. They had to do sacrifices after sacrifices after sacrifices all the time, continually. They never rest down. Nowhere in the tabernacle do you see a chair. The only place you see a chair is on the mercy seat where God rested. And God has rested where the blood of the Lamb is sprinkled. God, but it says in Hebrews chapter 3 that after Jesus... Uh, provided the sacrifice, and I'm just paraphrasing, he sat down. That's the first time any priesthood has ever sat down. He goes in and talks about this in, in Hebrews chapter 6 and 7 and whatnot, talking about the priesthood of, of, of Jesus versus the priesthood of Levi. We are of the priesthood of Jesus. And that's a whole other message. I don't have time to go into all that. But what's being said here so far is, and I don't have time to get, again recap all of this, Jesus is the Sabbath rest. And he, 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 he says this in verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. We who are in Christ Jesus are the people of God. And so there's so many scriptures that are bring it out. We are the people of God. We are born of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called. The children of God. It says that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. But verse 10 is really what I want to get to. And this is where I left off last week. I read it and said a few things, but I want to recap this verse again. Because this really is really the, 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 the main verse, I think, in this in this whole chapter. Because this is where this verse reveals this rest that the writer of Hebrews is speaking to the Jews about. He says, For he who has entered his rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Church, it is ceasing from our own works the way that God 
did from his creation. Just like God ceased from his work. And, and the writer Hebrew quotes from Genesis chapter 2 verse 2, which I have the last two weeks. That God rested from his work after he created the heavens and the earth. Just as God ceased from his works when he created the heaven and earth because it was finished. It was good. It, he said it was very good. We too need to cease from our performance of trying to relate to God and rest in what the rest that he has provided in Jesus Christ. There is nothing you can do that would be good enough in your own righteousness and your own holiness to be accepted by God. There is only one way to be accepted by God, and that is to have faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. Only the blood of Jesus only Jesus can make you holy. Only the righteousness of Jesus can make you in right relationship with God. Nothing you can do can make earn. You can't earn this righteousness. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn healing. You can't earn uh, all the other benefits of salvation. It's by grace. We put faith. We trust. We rest in His grace. It goes on to say, in verse 11, I'm going to come back to verse 10. Let us therefore be diligent. King James says, let us labor therefore to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall, fall according to the same example of disobedience. There's a lot there, and we'll get to some of that in, in just a moment. But there's a labor to enter that rest. It takes effort to stop trusting in what I'm doing and trust what he has already done. We're going to get into it. We're talking about uh, rest in his goodness. But the gospel, it says in Romans 1, 16 and 17, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals that we are right with God. For the just, the righteous shall live by his faith. The, right, the righteous live from faith to faith. We live by rest. We live by resting in him. I lost my train of thought. I had, I had a point here that I was going to make. But we have um, the gospel. The gospel is good news. We need to rest in his good news. We need to rest in what he's done. We need to rest in his goodness, which is good news. We need to trust that. And we need to rest in it. We need to trust it. We need to rely on it. We need to, as he's saying here in verse 10, we need to cease from striving to be accepted by God because of our holiness. We need to trust that he said, you, we need, we need to trust when he says, you are my beloved. There's so many scriptures I can bring out where God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. We need the rest in what he's provided. We need the rest in his good news. We need the rest in he said, you are my beloved. There is no spot in you. God, we need the rest in what Jesus has done for us. We need to stop striving without faith, without rest. It is impossible to please God. We, we, we need to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That sounds like performance again to some people. But I'm seeking after God. 
I'm, I'm resting. I'm seeking. I'm pursuing God. I'm not pursuing me. I'm not pursuing what I'm doing. I'm pursuing God. I'm, I'm laboring to enter into this rest, this good news, the goodness of God. It's His goodness that leads me to repentance. Not my goodness. But Isaiah says, our own righteousness is like filthy rags. It, there's no goodness. Who wants to be the best sinner in hell? I, you can't, you don't go to heaven and escape hell because of your goodness. It's his goodness. It's his grace. It's his work. And we rest in it. And all of our provision, everything we need, all of our answers to prayer, everything we need is in the seed called Jesus Christ. We rest in his goodness. We rest in the gospel. Jesus, when he started his ministry, according to Mark, in Mark chapter 1, he preached the kingdom of the kingdom of God and said, repent and trust this gospel. We need to stop trusting and relying on our religious re performance and rest in his goodness. I don't know about you, but when I saw this years ago, in many ways and shapes and forms and sizes and angles and perceptions, it has revolutionized my life. I thought I had heard the gospel, but in one sense I don't feel like I did because the gospel reveals the righteous God. The good news of God reveals the righteousness of God. It doesn't reveal my sin. The gospel the good, reveals my righteousness I have in Jesus. And I receive this by faith from faith. The just, the righteous, lives by faith. They live by resting in what God has done. And this grace that we receive from this gospel, this good news, teaches us to deny ungodliness. Teaches us to live godly and holy lives. Yes, we need to live holy. Yes, we need, but ho yes, we need to live righteously. But holiness is the fruit, not the root. You can't have an apple without an apple tree, without an apple seed, and you can't have an apple tree without an apple seed. You don't start with the fruit; you start with the root. Yes, in the fruit there's a seed to plant another apple tree to get more apples. But the, the root is the source, not the fruit. We have, if we're going to live holy, if we're going to live righteously, if we're going to live spiritually, if we're going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to receive this fruit. And we need to allow Him, not us, to live His life in us and through us to the glory of God. If we're resting in what we're doing, he's not doing it. We're doing it, not him. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by the faith of God, the resting in God and his love for me. We, need to, we live by resting in him. We don't rest, live by resting less. It's His goodness that leads me to repentance. 
It's not my goodness. It's not my self-willpower. Yes, I need to participate. I'm not a puppet. God is doing the work. But we need to cooperate. We need to hearken to his voice. We need to listen to him. But we need to labor to enter into his rest. And rest in his goodness. And he will do, you will live holier on accident than you ever tried to do it on purpose. If you will rest in him. That sounds, like, that sounds so contrary to a lot of our religious thinking. How can you live holier by accident? Well, you can't live holier on purpose. You just can't. I don't care how holy you think you are without Jesus, you can't do it. An orange tree cannot produce apples unless it is cut off and grafted into an apple tree. The branch doesn't make the seed. The sap, the seed, the nature, the roots do flow through the conduit of that branch and produce the seed. Am I making sense? We are grafted into Christ so we can see the fruit of repentance, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of holiness in our lives. But it's not because of us, it's because of Christ in us. Yes, we have to participate. Yes, we have to let him live through us. Yes, we have to let him teach us and guide us in righteousness for his name's sake. Yes, we need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But the whole passage in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he tells us, don't worry about the things that you need. If you are worrying about things, you're not resting. Worry, stress, fear is the opposite of rest and trust and faith. Jesus said, don't even give thought to these things, for you know that your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. We are the rest in His righteousness. We are the rest in the kingdom of God. We are the rest in God. Jesus said, regarding the kingdom of God, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe my good news. God has good news. God has goodness for us. But we have to rest in his goodness, not our goodness. We, yes, we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Where, and most people put a period after that verse in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. I think it's verse 12 or 13. I think it's verse 12. By verse 13, the very next verse, and there's a comma at the verse 12. God says, For it is God who is at work in you, the will to do of his good pleasure. So let's read the whole sentence in context. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. God can't work in you the will of his good pleasure if you are doing it. You have to rest and let him work his life to you. You have to participate. He won't do it without your cooperation. We are one flesh with him, but we are one flesh. My wife and I are one flesh, but we can't make the other person do it. 
when, 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 when our kayak team, our rowing team is working together, if they're all beating on their own, on their own method, they're not going to go anywhere. They might go in circles and they might even kill each other <laughs> with, the or, with the or and different things. But the, when they or in unison, in harmony, they can go where they want to, to the desired destination. We are in harmony with God. He's the one, in a sense, doing the work through it. He's the one, and I don't know what that person's called, and sitting in the back giving instruction to the team so they are in unison. But God is the pilot. We rest in His goodness, and we labor to enter that rest. We cease from working. We cease. I'm not saying we, I'm not talking about being passive. I'm not talking about being lazy. I'm not talking about being complacent. I'm speaking against that. But I'm also speaking against we don't do it without God. We can't do it without God. And even if we attempted to do it with God, God, the Bible says it's filthy rags. We're not building, as I shared earlier in this, this series, Haggai, we're not building our own houses. We are building the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God, the nature of God working in us. And just like God is good, the fruit of the Spirit is also goodness. It says in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. In verse 2, it says, when we shall be like him, when we see him as he is. God is good. He's a good, good father. He's a good God. And yet, we shall be like him who is good when we see him as he is. You can't live holy if you don't see him as holy. You can't live good if you don't see him as good. You can't be righteous, live righteously if you don't see him as righteous. But it's he who is living in and through you. Hopefully I'm making sense. I got way ahead of myself on some of these things. Let me back up a little bit to where I wanted to go this morning. I shared some of this last week. When we talk about the Sabbath, and actually in some scriptures that we read, I think Colossians, we read one of them last week, there's Sabbaths, plural. There was a weekly Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. And then there was a, a seven-year Sabbath every seven years. The weekly Sabbath meant that they worked six days. And on the seventh day, they rested. When Israel did this, none of the other nations were doing this. They worked seven days. You don't work, you don't eat. At the same point in time, from a business standpoint in time, you can, it seems logical you make more money if you work seven days than if you work six. Time is money. So if you're not working, taking a day off, you're losing money. But, when, but again, God established the Sabbath. He made it a law later on. But he established it as an area of worship and honor of God creating everything. Where it was, I believe it was a continual reminder that God is their source, not them. Yes, we need to work diligently. We need to work hard in a sense. We need to be faithful. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is also faithfulness. It's not just, and so, uh, there's so much I can talk about that. But at the same point in time, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. When we take the seventh day off, we, you know, it became law, but we don't do it to please God in the sense that if we don't obey his command, God won't bless us. No, we are blessed because we are in Christ. We have a covenant relationship with God. And God said he would bless us. And I'm going to be doing a whole series on the blessing of God uh, later on this, uh, I don't know, this year, year's almost coming to an end, but, but pretty soon here. Uh, I think it's going to be the series after next. I'm going to be talking about uh, the names of God uh, after this series, and then I think I'm going to be talking about the blessing of God. So I'll expand a lot more on that then. But I believe in, in, in observing the Sabbath is a time of worship where we know that God is our source and not us. His beauty will bless the work of our hands. But it's His beauty that blesses the work of our hands, not us. We have to rest in His beauty. We have to rest in Him. It, it, it was a weekly reminder of worship, of trust, of allegiance to knowing that God was their source. It was a reminder. We need those reminders. Yes, it was an ordinance, but we have ordinances like communion to remind us of what Christ did for us. We need to have reminders like the Sabbath to remember that God is our provider, that He is our source. And when Israel as a nation did this, not just in their tithes and offerings, not just in, in, in other things that they did like burnt offerings or whatnot. And other festivals and things that were also reminders. But when they did this in worship and honor to God, God blessed them exceedingly. God blessed their land. God blessed them. And Israel is a very blessed nation, even though it's one of the smallest nations geographically. I can go a lot about that. I mean, their fruit, their, their produce, their, their, their wisdom, their science, everything. It's just, it's supreme. I've heard report after report and report of the year how Israel is blessed. And I believe a lot of that has to do with they've honored God and His Word. There's so much more I can say about that. But, but it was a reminder. It was an act of faith that God was their source. We need those reminders, and we need sometimes those ordinances to remind us that even though we work diligently, we work hard, we work faithfully, God is our source, not us. Not our paycheck, not the government, not, not a stimulus check, not our business, not our customers, not the offering plate or the tie button, or give button on the website. God is our source. And we need those reminders. But in addition to the Sabbath day, God also required them every seven years to take a whole year off. Some people are very religious about keeping the Sabbath day, but they're not so religious about taking a whole year off. If you're going to keep one part of the law, you need to keep that if you're going to be religious in that way. But what was the Sabbath year? 
God told them in Leviticus chapter 25 that he would bless them with a triple harvest in the sixth year that would see them through the eighth year. It wasn't just a double harvest, it was a triple harvest. Not only could they not uh, reap the fruit that was on that they came on the tree naturally that year, they couldn't sow either. They were not that was part of the deal. It was, it said, God also said that and when he when he made this uh, Sabbath year that they were supposed to leave the, the extra fruit for for the, the poor and for the animals so they could would have vegetation. But it wasn't so much about taking the year off, and I believe it, it will if you're farming gardening it will it will bless your crops. And Israel has very beautiful, awesome crops every. Because they observe the Sabbath. Okay? But I believe it's more than just uh, uh, some magical number or some magical law. I believe it, it, when, we, when they obey God and accept, obey God, trusted Him as their source. God said He, not only did He provide for them, He provided for them in advance. Just like God created the heavens and the earth. Before he created man, God created everything in advance. Just think about it. Adam, when God created Adam, normally some trees can take four, seven years, or even more years for it to produce fruit. When God created Adam on a perfect earth, Adam didn't have to wait seven years so he could eat. You know, we, you know, the source and the Sabbath day, the Sabbath year, including vegetation, was a reminder God is our source, and we need to have those reminders. How many of you would like to have a, a, a whole year off with a triple provision, a triple paycheck for that matter, an annual paycheck tripled in the sixth year? Every sixth year, you score a triple harvest and you got a whole year off to enjoy it. But we have to rest in His goodness. We have to trust His Word. We have to trust that God will do what He says He will do. We have to rest in that. Or, we can ignore what God says and say, I'm going to work every seven, seven years. I'm going to work seven days a week. And I'm going to do it in my own strength. That's not resting. That's not trusting God. That's trusting you. That is ignoring God and trusting you. It's not about so much obeying God, even though it is. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not advocating disobeying God. But actually, Paul, when you read the book of Hebrews, when you read Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, God calls Israel's unbelief and lack of rest and lack of trusting God disobedience. He even calls it rebellion. There was only one reason why Israel did not enter the promised land. And that was not because of the giants. That was not because of some immorality or debauchery. It was because of one sin, the sin of unbelief. The sin of not entering his rest and trusting him. All of this Sabbath, our Sabbaths, are pictures that God is our source. 
we work so, but God gives the increase. Those who think they have to act a certain way for God's acceptance and approval are not resting in Christ's work. They have not entered his rest. And they are not honoring the Sabbath, the true rest, the true Sabbath, which is Christ. Sure, again, we need to live holy, but again, holiness is a fruit, not the root. Those who legalistically try to observe the Sabbath, believing God is angry at them because they are not, are missing the true meaning of the Sabbath. They are, they are the real Sabbath breakers. That would be hard for some people to swallow. But when you are trusting what you're doing instead of God's provision, you are breaking the Sabbath. Amen or oh me. The true Sabbath keepers in the New Testament are not trying to relate to God on their own holiness, their own righteousness, but resting on what Jesus has done to make them right. The true Sabbath keepers are those who are resting in Christ's finished work. And what he has done. And when you're resting in that, it's not a license to sin. It's a, it's a, you are now gaining instruction how to live righteously. The grace of God teaches you to live godly. You don't live godly to, to, to receive his grace. His grace teaches you to live godly. The Bible says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not. He didn't say sin not to become righteous. No, awake to your righteousness and sin not. If you don't know you're righteous, if you don't understand righteousness, you will not be able to, to stop sinning. You can't do it in your own strength. You can only do it by His grace and for His righteousness to teach you how to do this. Beloved, Church, people, friends. Everything I'm trying to describe to you is about a relationship of God that is built on the cornerstone of trust. Trust. You know, I said a few weeks ago, I don't remember where I said it, but I think the middle verse in the Bible talks about trust. If you were to find the middle verse in your Bible, and I believe it's in Psalm 118, You find the very middle verse of this in your Bible. I'm going to turn to Psalm 118, and I believe it's verse 8. No, sorry, I missed it. I'm looking at the wrong verse anyway. Yes, verse 8. Psalm 118, verse 8. Excuse me. It is better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in man. The very central verse in the Bible, just geographically placed, as far as from Genesis to Revelation 21, is the very central verse says, It is better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in man. I believe one of the central themes in the Bible 
It is about trusting God, about resting in Him, about putting your faith in Him for the just shall live by His name. Everything I'm trying to describe to you is talking about a relationship that is to be enjoyed. Not just one day a week. Not just every seven years. But every day of our lives. I believe the New Testament church understood this and it's one of the reasons why they met every day. Not just Sunday. Not just Saturday, but every day. This relationship, this rest of God, is not just something we do one day a week. Yes, it may be something we celebrate one day a week in a religious format. There's something about coming together. But the early church came together every day. And so I, I believe that's the more biblical New Testament approach. And some people, how can we do that? Whatever day we got going on. You know, and I'm, I'm part of my argument is how can you not? We can't receive with the hand. And let me just say this: I heard this from somebody. We can't receive with our hands full. When I am focused on what I must do, there isn't room for me to rest in what He has done. Again, let's go to Hebrews four eleven real quick. A lot more time on that than I thought. I'm not going to get as far. But Hebrews 4 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. The King James again says, Let us labor to enter that rest. If you understand rest, if you understand Sabbath, as I'm trying to teach, it takes effort to rest. It takes effort to trust God, to trust Christ. Our human nature wants to do something. To be worthy of blessings. We've been taught this. Ever. We work to earn a paycheck. We, 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 we work to get an allowance. As children. Everything we. Our whole society. In different cultures. You have to work to be rewarded. So we want to do something. But the truth is backwards. The truth is the other way. We can never deserve his goodness. We can never earn it. We can never deserve His goodness. We have to rest in His goodness. You can't earn the favor of God. You have to rest in His goodness. You have to rest in it. And that is contrary to some of our natural defaults. We have to cease from trusting our own works and rest in what Jesus has provided by His grace. And he has, Jesus has provided many things by His grace not just forgiveness. But let's talk about forgiveness for a second. God, God has forgiven you. He has removed your sins as far as the east and the rest. You need to rest in that. Jesus, God said in the book of Hebrews that we're speaking from, in Hebrews chapter 8, God says he remembers your sins no more. If God says he remembers your sins no more, why are you remembering them? And why are you remembering one another's? Why is your remembrance more important than God's word that says he will remember? Who died and made you king? I'm being facetious, but I'm making a point. If you value your opinion above God who says he doesn't remember your sins no more, then do I trust you or do I trust God? 
God doesn't remember them no more. And we need to rest in that. God, Christ became our sin. He crucified it. He buried it. It says in Romans chapter 6 that we were crucified with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. We were buried with Christ. And we have, are now to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you, are, you can't reckon yourselves dead to sin and still remember it. That's an oxymoron. We need to rest. We need to reckon we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ Jesus. We are alive. And he, we're going to look at the verse a little bit later. We won't get to it this week. But when we're talking about goodness a little bit more, that he is the God of the living, not the dead. We are alive in Christ Jesus. We're not dead to sin. I mean, we're, we're not alive in sin. We're not still in sin. We're dead. Christ died in sin. And everything I'm describing, reckoning yourself to be dead to sin, takes effort. There's a labor to enter rest. Let me just say it this way. This will be the hardest thing you will ever do. To enter his rest, to believe in his forgiveness, to believe in the way and be and totally rest in what he's done for you. Totally rest in this great salvation he has provided for will be the hardest thing you will ever do. As Paul said, you need to die daily. We need the constant reminders. Not just of Sabbath, but of communion. And other things. To quit relating to God on the basis of it will, to quit relating to God on the basis of your performance will be the hardest thing you will ever do. It takes labor. And we must be diligent. Start trusting totally in what Jesus did for you. And what Jesus did for you is called the gospel. It's called goodness. It's good news. Rest in his good news. Rest in his goodness. Are you resting in what you're doing above what he did through the cross? Rest in it. I can't rest in... Uh, you put all the good things I've done in my life together, it falls short of what Christ has done for me through the cross. It doesn't measure up. I can't rest in that. Because just because I was good yesterday, even though it was in my own effort, I can't trust I'm going to do be good tomorrow in my own effort. Does that make sense? But I can trust Him. He is faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. In the flesh, I'm not. We're weak. We're inconsistent. We're complacent. When I got off, and I've been off. I started looking at the storm. I started looking at myself, my own. You know, even if I'm looking at my own stability, weakness, and I'm resting in that, I can, if I say to myself, I can do nothing, I can be nothing, I'm not going to do, and I'm resting in that. I 
have already set myself up for defeat. But I got to rest. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I need to rest. My God shall supply my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I need to rest. My God will never leave me or forsake me. I need to rest in his word. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not. The Lord is, uh, we need to rest in his God. And as we come into end time events, as we come into these last days, at full throttle, amid COVID, amid everything going on in our, our world, our, our state, our country, and our, and our world, we need to rest in God. Not us, not the government, and different things. We need to be involved. We need to do the right thing. We, we don't need to be complacent, but we need to rest in God. Not man, not ourselves, not others. That makes sense? We need the rest of his goodness. Verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and of the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It sounds like he's changed the subject. <laughs> He's talking about rest and Sabbath, and all of a sudden he's talking about the Word of God. He makes a very powerful statement here about the Word of God. Many of us have quoted this through the years. Let me just say, he's talking about relationship. He's talking about rest. In verse 11, he just told us to labor to enter into this rest. Can I say this? And I need you to listen to me. Laboring to enter the word, his Word. Is one of the greatest things we can do to enter his rest. We talk about labor to enter his rest, and some of us it's labored again the word of God. Some of us, it, some of us, we call ourselves Christians, but we will go days without being in the Word of God. That's not labor to enter his rest. Some of us will go weeks. And now that we have COVID and we're not meeting together regularly, some of us have gone months. That is not how your pastor trained you to be. That is not how the pastor trained us. I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm not trying to get our case. I'm trying to get us, we need to rest in his goodness. And one of the greatest disciplines to rest in his goodness is resting, in, is laboring to rest and be in the word of God. We need to have a relationship with God. And we can start, of all places, the Word of God. Turn me real quick. Uh, uh, I just want to take you back on what I said. We're going to come back to Hebrews. Uh, we're not done. Hebrews 4. But go real quick to 1 Timothy 5, 17. He says, let the elders who rule well. Paul is teaching young Timothy, his apprentice, a young pastor. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Double honor. There is double honor for those who labor in the word of God. Doctrine is just a fancy word for teaching. There's double honor for those who labor to, to be in the Word. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, 
But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who hath passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Again, this, I believe this is piggybacking on everything we read in, even in verse 2. Verse 2, real quick, this, this says, uh, let me just read it again. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word of God which they heard did not prompt them, not being mixed with those who heard it. You know, the gospel was preached to them as well as to us. The gospel, but the, Jesus said this in John, that the, the scripture testifies of him. It testifies of Jesus. Everything, the gospel, the Sabbath, uh, 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 the Levitical law, this rest, everything points to Jesus, folks. And the context is talking about the rest of God. The way we enter his rest is through our faith in Jesus Christ. The whole Passover land that, that verse 2 is talking about, that I just referenced and reread, the, the Passover lamb. That's how the gospel was preached to them. It was preached to them through the gospel, through the lamb. They didn't escape Egypt because of their goodness. They escaped Egypt by the blood of the lamb. The blood that was put on the doorposts. The, the, the sacrifice that God told them to consume, the entire sacrifice. It was the lamb by which they escaped the death angel and the exodus began to take place. Then they began to, 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 to leave Egypt. They escaped Egypt and the, and the, the plagues and by the Lamb, not their goodness. But the gospel, the, the gospel that was the good news that was preached to them. We, the way we enter his rest well, is through the Lamb, is through our faith in Christ. We need to not waver in our faith. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It seems like he's switching gears here, but I believe it still, it still goes in with this rest that he's talking about. Let me just ask you this. How is Jesus tempted in all points as we are? Was Jesus tempted with cocaine? Was Jesus tempted with the choice of divorce, being that he was married? But the root, and I don't have to, time to teach all this right now, but I believe the root of all sin is selfishness. The root of all sin is unbelief towards God. I don't have time to, to, to teach on all that right now. It's not the scope of my message. But I believe the root of all sin stems back to selfishness, to lust, to the pride of life. Actually, First uh, John two sixteen, I have this in my notes. Uh, all sin is from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Every sin comes back to those three things. And although Jesus might not have been tempted with cocaine or very specific sins where you can list your own, he had he was tempted to be selfish. He was tempted to be to, to have lust of very kind, lust of the flesh. He was tempted like we are. We have the temptations, three temptations that are recorded after his baptism. He was tempted. And all three of those temptations go back to these three things. 
and selfishness. But he did not give in to that temptation. Just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you're wrong. When you give in to that temptation, that's what else. But our, he was tempted in this exact same way we are in his own areas. He can't be attempted to surf the internet and wrong when there was no internet. But he could be tempted with his mind. Make sense? The principles there. The, the principle of sin. Well, I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost out of time. But I want to introduce a new direction as we start going into talking about his goodness. There's not a lot more I can say about rest. But I'm going to share a piggyback on some things as I go forward. Go with me real quick here to Psalm 34. And I want to introduce, we'll pick it up here next week. But uh, Psalm 34, we'll pick up verse 8. I love this whole psalm. It was one of my favorites as in my teenage years. There's so many nuggets in this, in this whole psalm. But in verse 8 it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Trust. Again, trust. We've been talking about this. It's also rest. I, can read, I believe I can reread this verse a little bit. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who rests in him. It has the same meaning. Just a different connotation. Taste is something we experience. We all have different taste buds. Some us like different foods. Some, some like sushi. Some can't stand sushi. Some like tomatoes, some don't like tomatoes. Some like it smooth, some like it chunky. You know, I'm not trying to get gross. But it just, uh, it depends on what it is. Some like different things. We have different, but it's experience. And sometimes when you have something, you know, it just tasted good. Maybe you tried a food that you never had before, you just tasted it, and it's it just like, you know, next time it comes around, next time it, you expect it, but you already have an expectation of what it's going to taste like. Because you've tasted it before. I'm going to pick it back on that in just a moment. But taste is something that you experience. You can't have someone describe taste for you. You have to experience it on your own. You know, most of my life I was told that spinach tastes nasty. And I love spinach. I didn't have it most of my years because I already didn't like a lot of vegetables. And if someone's already telling me it tastes bad, I am not going there. Some things like Brussels sprouts, I have tasted, and I'm, I don't, you cannot threaten me enough to eat that. There's some other foods that I just can't stand. There's some foods that my wife can't stand. We all have them. Some things that we just love and we crave, and there's some things we just cannot tolerate. No matter, someone can, no, I don't care how much you paint a picture. If I don't like it because of my experience, I don't like it. <laughs> <clears throat> and I don't care how bad you tell me it's bad for me or unhealthy. If I like it, I like it. What you say might be true. Maybe it is unhealthy. But I still like it. My experience tells me it was pleasant. <laughs> Your experience cannot derail me from that. Yes, I might be grossed out by some of the things that are in that and whatnot. 
Uh, and when that, now, now my mind's working, not my taste buds. Anyway, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture for something I'm going, going into. I'm talking about taste. Taste is, taste the Lord, he's good. We can experience God's goodness when we taste it. I can't taste you. I can't taste his goodness for you. I can't experience the gospel for you. The good news. You have to taste it. You know, so many times I heard as a child, and I uh, and, 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 uh, usually regarding vegetables, how do you know until you and there's some things I have tried and like, and there's some things I have tried and I still stick to my, my, I don't like it. I didn't like it before, but I don't like it now. I don't like the eggs and ham, Sam I am. And then when he tasted it, he liked it. So, but you don't, you can't have a definitive answer until you've tried it. But I can't try it for you. We can taste, we can, I'm also paying for, we can experience, if we can taste his goodness, we can experience his goodness. We can taste and see that he is good. Not just hear about it, not just read about it, not just someone preach about it, but we can experience it ourselves. How taste what I have tasted, I have experienced. And what you taste, when you taste something, you can tell me what you feel about that food. I can tell you how I feel about chocolate. I can tell you how I feel about Brussels sprouts. I've experienced. I have an expectation what it will be like if I taste it again. Now, there are some foods that I don't like. I like the name brand, not the generic brand. I know it's not Heinz ketchup. I know if Rice Krispies is a generic brand because it doesn't snack, crackle, and pop. There's some foods and some recipes, it might be an enchilada, a cheese enchilada, but it's not al cello, where I like to go. Because how do I know? It does not taste the same. I've even gone to different al cello restaurants, and sometimes they don't taste identically the same. Close, but not the same. There's a different chef. There's different things. I know what an In-N-Out burger tastes like. It the McDonald's does not taste like In-N-Out. I have an expectation of what an In-N-Out burger will taste like because I've had it before. And what you have tasted from God, what you have heard from other persons' experience of tasting from God, Determines your expectation of what God is like and what God will do. If you have a bad taste 
of God because of what other people have done or an experience you've had, you have an expectation of what God will or will not do. We need, I'm talking, I'm just, I'm leading up to resting in His goodness because He will take care of everything. But if your taste of God is not good, you will not, you do not expect Him to take care of everything. Am I making sense? How you, how, you're tasting or not tasting how God is. His true nature will determine how you feel about God. And how you feel about God shows you what you really believe about Him. His nature and what He will do. Based on what I taste, I can tell you what, how I feel about chocolate. You can see the twinkle in my eye when I talk about El Cello, in and out, and out of things. You can see the disgust in my eyes when I talk about Brussels sprouts and other things. Hopefully. There are just some things, I mean, I'm just grossed out by the mention of this name because I've tasted it before. But there's some things. And and because I've tasted before, I have an expectation. I'm not going to like it. I didn't like it then. I'm not going to like it now. And there's some things I have before, and I think I'm going to like it. But there's been some things I've had before, and something changed. Either now, all of a sudden, it's fat-free, gluten-free. They left out an ingredient, and it doesn't taste the same. I had an expectation, and what I had before is not the same. My, it failed my expectations. Something changed. I don't mean me not know what it is, but it's not the same. <coughs> True faith will produce emotions, experience. We we need to taste and see how God that God is good, but we need the right experience, the true experience of His goodness. And I can tie this into when Jesus said, by your traditions you make the word of God of no effect. Some of our, our expectations of God are based on what other people have told us about God and not our own experience. And some of our expectations about God, our feelings about God, are based on a circumstance, a situation, a tragedy, where in our experience it seems like God didn't come through. And now we're mad at God. We're angry at God. We don't expect God. Even if our... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, feeling is wrong or right. And until we taste His goodness, we're not going to change our opinion. We might have come to the wrong conclusion based on the wrong... And in a lot of different things, this can be a very sensitive subject to some people because of what they've gone through. And I get that. But I'm trying to get a point, a point across that we need to rest in His goodness. We need to taste and see that He's good. And some of us need to forget the past. And we need to, to, to allow God to Revealed to us who he is. We're going to talk about his goodness. I'm running out of time.
I'm not going to turn to scriptures right now. We'll come back to these scriptures next week. But in Exodus chapter 33, God, Moses was saying, let your presence go with me. And God said his goodness was going to pass by. And God revealed himself to Moses. God revealed himself to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. God wasn't just Abraham's God. He had to become Isaac's God. He had to become Jacob's God. He needs to become your God. God, God wants to become... God wants to reveal... In other words, I'm trying to paint... A, I'll be painting a picture next week. God wants to reveal His goodness to every generation. Not just your father. Not just your forefathers. Not just the... The, the patriarchs and the people that we've read in the Bible, God wants to show His goodness to you. God doesn't want to just show His goodness to your pastor, to Andrew Womack, to other people. God wants to show His goodness to you. And God, how did God reveal Himself to Moses? He rebuilt Himself by His goodness. He rebuilt Himself by who He was. I am. And when you know who God is, you'll know what he will do. That's why when I be talking in my next series about the, the, the God, I'm, I'm talking about the names of God, I'm titling this message, God Revealed, because God reveals who he is by his names. And if that's who God is, that's what God will do. He's my provider. He's my righteousness. He's my healer. Because that's who God is. And it says in 1 John 3, 2, when we, we will be like him when we see him as he is. Some of you, we are born of God. We don't heal people, but Jesus commissioned the 12 and said, as you receive freely, give, go and heal the sick, raise the dead. We don't heal them. Uh, 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 Peter and John said, silver and gold I have not, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We can heal people because Jesus is in us. It's not us, it's him in us. But he gave us the commission. He gave us the, the instruction and the ordination to go heal the sick. We can do it because Christ is in us. We need to rest in his goodness that's in us. Um, sorry, I'm just reading ahead of some things I want to highlight a little bit later. Um, we'll be looking at this. Some of these things as we go forward. Um, but I'm out of time today. We're going to be looking at His goodness. I'm going to be looking at, but I'm, I want to leave you with this. Taste and see that He is good. His gospel the, reveals the righteous of God. And if He reveals the righteous of God, we can rest in the fact that we are the righteous of God and him. We can rest in his goodness. We can rest in who he is. We can rest in who we are in him. Because he said it. That's his settling. We need to rest in who he is. We need to rest in his goodness. We need to stop resting. We need to stop striving to, to be accepted by God. We need to rest in the fact that we are accepted by God. And receive the, his goodness. His gospel. And taste it. And see that he's because let me just finish this verse again one more time in Psalm uh, 34 in closing. I want to read it one more time because I want to get the, the second half of that verse that I, I read earlier. 
34 verse 8 one more time in closing. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed. How many going to be blessed? Blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the person who trusts, who rests in Him. You want to be blessed? We have to learn to labor in His rest. You want to be blessed? We need to taste His goodness. We need to rest in His goodness. Because He will take care of everything. You're, how you taste God. How you taste it will determine your expectation of how you will receive from Him. Taste. Taste and see that He's good. Forget the past. Forget your own interpretation of what God did. Taste His goodness. And He will take care of everything. Lord, we worship You. Lord, I don't know how much I'm communicating, how much I'm conveying uh, what I'm trying to teach. But Lord, we trust You. We rest in You. Teach us the rest. Teach us your goodness. Teach us your faithfulness. Teach us your nature. Teach us these things. We worship you. We magnify you. We glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. God bless.